Welcome to Millennial Belkin, a pop culture podcast by three geeky millennials. My name is Huai Chen Bui. I'm a slash film and tracking board pop culture writer in D.C. I am Anya Crittenton, associate editor at The Tracking Board. And I am Willoughby Dobbs, a filmmaker in the D.C. area. So today is our monthly movie millennial review. We are going to be talking about one of the all-time favorite uh, classic animated movies, Beauty and the Beast's remake, Beauty and the Beast, 2017. Be our guest, be our guest, put our selves to the test. Tie your napkin round your neck, Sherry, and we'll provide the rest. Um, it was directed by Bill Con- Condon, um, and Condon, and it was uh, written by Stephen uh, Chobsky and Evan Spiliotopoulos, among others. And it it's basically follows the same plot line as the animated classic. Um, I'll just read the IMDb summary right now. Um, after leaving her small provincial village to find her missing father, the beautiful independent Belle, played by Emma Watson, encounters a large, horrifying beast, played by Dan Stevens, or as I like to call him, Stan Stevens, uh, living inside a dark, forbidding castle with living antiques as his only companions. As Belle stays more with the beast, she learns that true beauty is found within. So, that was beautiful, Beating the Beast is your guys' like, favorite movies, right? It is my favorite Disney animated film of all time. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is one of mine. I, I can't choose. And, <laughs> I have a very hard time choosing, but it, it is definitely up there, like in my top three. And I was very scared of the Beast as a young child, so I didn't watch it till I was like 13, 14. Mm-hmm. Um, so it never really, like, if I had to list my top five beauty, like animated f- Disney f- films, it would probably be, num- be number six. Um, and that's just because I loved so many different ones um so i think importantly for me the musical is my favorite musical of all time the broadway musical yes the beauty and the beast it's my favorite of all any musical i've seen beauty and the beast still ranks number one for me i've seen it a lot like more than 10 times in my life wow that is a lot i've seen it like i've seen it many times like 10 times in no like national tours oh okay I've seen it once on Broadway. Before it closed on Broadway, my dad flew me out to New York so I could see it before it closed. That's adorable. <laughs> I saw, I have never seen Beauty and the Beast on Broadway. I saw The Lion King, and that's my favorite one. So I have never seen any Disney Broadway shows. Um, not even Lion King, which I know is critically acclaimed, and I really want to see it. I have seen a little of Disney on Ice, but that's not nearly the same. Um, just because. Mary Poppins is really good, too. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, but yeah. I think maybe that's the reason why I was a little less receptive towards the Beauty and the Beast live action, as I, as you guys were. Yeah, because I was never seen like seen as the story told outside of the animated classic, which I loved so much and watched so many times as a kid. Uh, so I think you guys know that I was really wary going into this movie. And, um, I was terrified you were going to hate it. I didn't hate it. I didn't hate it. Yeah. Why don't we go with your your initial thoughts? Yes. So I actually I did enjoy it a lot. But nostalgia is a powerful drug. And yeah, it is. I think it, it really depended a lot, uh, too much, on the iconic imagery that I couldn't see the need for making this movie. I was just like, this was a fun movie to watch, and I really, like, you know, brought me back to my childhood, but I just don't see that, like, 
that it was necessary at all. It didn't improve upon the original. It didn't improve upon the original, and the little improvements it did make, I was just like, okay, that was cute, but I don't know if it was worth a movie ticket to see. Um, just, I mean, like, I did enjoy, like, for example, the parts with, um, oh, uh, just a warning, this will be a spoiler-filled review of yes. Beauty and the Beast. So I did enjoy, like, the little ad additions of, you know, the uh, the Shakespeare talk and, like, the whole flirting over books um, scenes that took place between Beauty and, um, t between Belle and the Beast. And uh, that was probably my favorite part of the um, the movie that was, like, added to it. But, like, for example, the Be Our Guest scene, um, that whole musical sequence was just so derivative of the original one and just I did not see like any um, added benefit of it because it was like the entire scene was basically in CGI animation and I was just like okay that's essentially the same thing as watching like the animated sequence in the original movie and while it's like updated for technology for our times I am not as wowed as I was watching the original um, animated movie, and that's my, because, my, might be because I was watching it with fresh eyes when I was a kid, and like, everything was beautiful and gorgeous, but at the same time, like, it was, it was, it just felt really hollow to me in, like, those regards. Like, those are two examples of why I both enjoyed the film and didn't enjoy the film. Okay. Yeah. So, what are you guys' thoughts on Beauty and the Beast? Let's go with Anya, because Anya, you've seen the musical on Broadway. I have. So you're, you, you are, you've, you know how to, you, you've seen it <clears throat> redone before. So yes. what did you think of this reimagining? Which I, really didn't um, reimagine I wouldn't call it a reimagining. Similar, <laughs> similar to HT, I have mixed thoughts, but for different reasons. Okay. Um, I, I, don't, I don't really subscribe to the notion that something has to be necessary to exist in the world. Mm -hmm. um, I think there are a lot of reasons for something to exist even if it has similarities to other things. Um, like, the musical, for me, improved upon the animated film because it's long. Like, the animated film is 90 minutes. The story is very tight, which is good, but the musical really added to it, and, like, Beast's character actually became layered and more complex and deep, like, in the movie, um, which we'll talk about later. So, for me, I don't really see it I see it more derivative actually of the musical than the animated film mm -hmm. um and I almost wish they had just done an adaptation of the musical see that I actually would have enjoyed because I would have um, seen that from a different perspective yeah yeah and so my my issue mostly the flaws I found with the movie mostly were just from a filmmaking perspective I just find Bill Condon to not be a very good director I think some of his filmmaking is very clunky and so the pacing in the movie sometimes felt pretty weird to me some of the new story elements like beast and bell's relationship really worked for me other elements didn't really work for me um so i just found just kind of objectively as a movie it was kind of hit and miss um and i do sometimes wish they had just done they feel like they were torn between being the animated film the musical and its own thing mm -hmm. and it never really committed to one or the other so it was kind of a mixed bag. But I will say I've seen it twice now, and I liked it a lot more my second time around, maybe because I knew that there were going to be flaws going in, or my second time I just kind of let myself really get swept up in it and just kind of let the romanticism and magic take me away, as it were. Um, so I think it's better on a second viewing. 
I think it's not perfect, but I still really enjoyed it. And I'm kind of focusing only on the things I really loved right now, so I sound like I love the movie so much. No, I think but you it had does a good have balance. flaws. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so Willoughby. Willoughby, what were your thoughts? Um, I liked it a lot. I had a lot of I had a great time with it. Um, I thought LeFou was one of my favorite characters. I thought he he was like he was really fun. Like he was kind of like you know he did asides to like other characters and be like and just like. You know, he was kind of like that. Um, and then uh, overall, I liked all the characters. They all seemed pretty cool. Um, I would say the pacing was a little off. Yeah, I agree. Um, I wish that it seemed like they took forever to get um, her dad like in into the castle and like like situated in the, in the jail cell. Like mm-hmm. it seemed like he was there for like a long time before anything really started to happen. I was like, okay, we get it. He's going to be captured. Let's get it. Let's just have that happen. Um, but I think overall, um, I had a fun time with it. I really didn't think of it. I didn't really think of the filmmaking when I saw it, which is probably bad, but like it didn't really, I didn't see any, a lot of issues that probably you guys were seeing with the, with the, like the filmmaking aspect of it. I, maybe I was just because I was focused on the story and the characters, but it seemed to me that like, yeah, it was a little slow at times, but I think, you know, movie, a movie can't be breakneck speed all the time or one, one, it has to alternate. Um, and I do agree that it was a little derivative. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought, I wasn't sure how closely they were gonna really just remake the animated film. And it's, there, there were a lot of times where I was like, okay, so this is just a shot for shot remake. Yeah. And I was like, this is fun, this is cute. I like the idea of like, the anim, like, because I, I never saw the Broadway musical, so this is the closest I'll get to it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, this is fun, because he's kind of like a human beast, a little buffalo man. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> um, and I, I mean, Emma Watson was great. I really liked her. Um, uh, no? No. She was she was actually the weakest point for me. I mean, I don't know. I liked I liked her singing. She could sing. Her singing was fine. Um, you're, never, you're not a fan of her acting. Her acting, okay. So my problem was that she looked the part of the Disney princess, but nothing more. She had this kind of like placid look on her face the entire time, whether she was reacting to something or whether she was like, you know, falling in love. And she had like these tiny little, you know, tiny little quirks that worked. So when she when it called on her to do like moments where she was angry or something, she delivered on those. But I felt like otherwise, she just looked like she was very like pleased, just like, oh yeah, I'm mm. just going through life. And that really bothered me because Belle, as the character in the animated um, movie, was just, had such like this spark of life, despite not, you know, being like a badass or anything like that. And I didn't think she needed to be like, you know, like the quirks that they gave to Emma's to Emma's character was like she was independent, she's an inventor, et cetera, et cetera. It just seemed like um, making up for the fact that she she didn't really have a personality. Uh, I just like I was missing that spark that I really loved in the original Belle. Like for example, the scene in which she rejects Gaston uh, in the animated movie, it comes off as so playful and funny and just kind of like really I don't want to say the word sassy, but like really like sassy and that kind of stuff uh, but in this one it just kind of played off as her awkward not, yeah kind of awkward and also just like her kind of being like oh yeah I don't really want to be here and very very subdued I did not I did not think that it played very well towards like 
I guess my idea of Bell, but just like this sort of neutered version of Bell that I'm seeing on on like through Emma St- Emma Watson's character. That's kind of like how I saw it. I yeah, I somewhat agree. Um, it's frustrating because I love Emma Watson. Mm-hmm. I love her so much, but she's not the best actress in the world, honestly. Um, and while I think that she gets Belle, because she sort of is Belle in mm-hmm. real life. Yeah. Um, while she, there were moments where I liked her, but then there were moments where she just sort of fell flat, like you said, HT. And mm-hmm. I think it doesn't help that her co-stars Are so just kind good. of outshone her. Yeah. They were so good. Mm-hmm. So... Since we're diving into Emma Watson's performance, should we just jump into character and performance, and yes. then we can get to kind of plot and theme? Yes, yeah, let's I'll, do that. I'll just wrap up by saying I like the movie. <laughs> All right. All right, so can I can I just talk about Dan Stevens? All right, can we're, I giving you, we're giving okay. you... We're giving you... All right, let me... Starting the timer here. Start, starting with we're 90, starting 90 seconds. How many times? And go. Because <laughs> we've talked about our one lead, and our co-lead is Dan Stevens as the Beast. Um who, as we know from last week, I am currently on a bit of a Dan Stevens kick. Something like that. Um, And I just think he was so good as the Beast. I think this was really his movie. Um, I've seen a lot of people actually say this telling of Beauty and the Beast would actually be more interesting from the Beast's point of view. Mm -hmm. Um, Just because he, his character is so much more fleshed out in this one, like it is in the musical. Mm -hmm. And I just thought, I thought sometimes the CGI of the Beast was a little stiff, and I think that's because it was motion capture instead of just straight animation like it was in the Jungle Book. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think he really brought, like, a good personality to the Beast, and he was just so complex and human and funny. Like, I love when the Beast is funny. Mm-hmm. He's really sardonic, and he has that line about, like, I haven't read all of them. Some of them are in Greek. Ah! When they're in the library, it's I so good. Life. Yeah. <laughs> and I... Like, I love that he knew how to read, because I thought that made a lot of sense, mm-hmm. plot-wise. Like, he was like, I had an expensive education. That what made a good so much line. sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, and I think the movie really hit some high notes with his relationship with Belle. Like, you were saying, HT, when they were, like, walking through the grounds reading mm-hmm. and talking about Shakespeare. It was very cute. It's mm-hmm. poetry. Um, yeah. And so I just think he really, this was his movie. I also love The Beast in the prologue or the prince with that blue makeup and that costume i'm so into the prince in the prologue i just need an entire movie about that please i completely agree with you anya i think i I, i think dan stevens really stole the movie in this um in beauty and the beast like he I really liked his fleshed out version of Beast and I did like the whole addition of him being a great reader because I remember in a couple um, deleted scenes from the animated Beauty and the Beast, they had a scene where Belle was teaching him to read. I didn't really like that because I felt like Beast, one of the appeal of him was that like he was an intellectual and like emotional equal to Belle and that's why she chose him over Gaston. So I did not like like making him as this sort of like a literate, you know, beastly prime primal character. Um, so I like that addition of like the added complexity to him. And Dan Stevens was just so good. His his voice work as well as like the motion capture he did, which I do think was a little bit lacking in some aspects, uh, was phenomenal. And I I do I would say that this is the Beast movie. I did see someone uh, point out that like live action Beauty and the Beast 
is more about the beasts, whereas the animated Beauty and the Beast was about Belle. And I can kind of see why, like, that, that's why, like, Emma, Emma Watson's character was lacking in that regard, because, like, it was more about the beast and, like, his backstory and stuff. Yeah. And they did try to, like, shoe, shoehorn, like, a little bit more of Belle's background with the whole her mother dying from the plague. But I also, it, like I said, it kind of felt shoehorned in. I was just like, oh, okay, she's deep because her mother died, and that's why her father had to spirit her away. I was like, okay, sure. <laughs> <laughs> so we all agree that Dan Stevens was great. Yes. I'm on the Yay. Dan Stevens back, back bandwagon with you, Anya. Excellent. I'm going to bring everyone with me. It's going to be a great journey. Mm-hmm. He's having um, a great march. Mm-hmm. He, he is. is. And I mean, he has a really great, he has several movies coming out this year beyond just Beauty and the Beast. Mm. Um, so it's going to be a good time for Dan Stevens. Yeah. So who else did you guys like uh, performance wise? I liked Luke Evans as Gaston. He was I thought good. He did like the job that was needed to be done. Yeah. Like, he didn't really bring a lot to the character other than what was needed. I think he was actually more likable than the original Gaston because um, he wasn't as, like, brutish and kind of cartoonish uh, as as the uh, animated version. Um, so he did seem more human, and, like, they add a little of backstory, too, with him fighting in the war. But then, like, they kind of turned that on his head by saying, like, oh, he really enjoyed the war, like, all the widows <laughs> and the blood and gore. And I was like, okay. So it did seem like the way they made him reprehensible was a little bit more human, a little bit more um, complex than, like, the way they did uh, Gaston in the animated version. So I did like that. He seems scarier by the end to me as well. Mm-hmm. Just, like, the way he kind of... Um, I didn't love his little subplot with Maurice, um, yeah. which we can get into with, like, the plot. That was a part of the movie that really dragged for me, yeah. Um, yeah. as much as I love Kevin Klein. But I will say, after that whole thing happened, and just, like, him leaving Maurice there, and then, like, going to the tavern, and basically, like, gaslighting him, and, like, turning the whole town against him, and starting this whole mob, which happens in the movie, but just, like, the way Luke Evans did it was, for me, it was very scary, like, he really brought that kind of terror to Gaston as, like, this is a real person. Yeah, there was a lot of um, Trump's America happening at the end with, like, him describing, like, how terrible this beast is and, like, putting fear into the hearts of these mob to, like, get them mm-hmm. to be on their side and, like, turning, you know, basically any negative quality that this beast could have, he, like, amplified it and got them rowdy and roused up and they started chanting and they were, like, you know... It was just, it was a lot to take in in this current political climate, I feel like. But it, but I mean, like, I know that was, that happened in the the animated movie too. So it didn't, it wasn't, but it just seemed very, it stood out more to me than it would have like three years ago. I agree with that. Although I do wish that they had kind of played up the paranoia of that crowd a little more. It just kind of felt like requisite. They're like, oh, okay. So Belle has brought the mirror. Now there has to be a mob. So it's just like, this whole sort of going by the numbers of getting the crowd riled up. And I wish that there was a little bit more of like him playing into their fears, whereas instead of just like showing the beast, like, look how scary he is. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I did think that like the whole, um, the village and like the town, like the, the castle formerly ruling over that village, but the village sort of forgetting about that. I thought that was a really interesting relationship that they could have explored a little more because, you know, Mrs. Potts, her husband, was in the village. Yeah. So I wonder, like, 
if that was a missed opportunity for the movie. Yeah. To well, that's like, why he has that line in Bell where he's like, I think I'm forgetting something, but I can't remember what. Um, that's him mm-hmm. basically, that's them basically acknowledging that, like, he remembers vaguely that he has a wife and son, mm-hmm. but he can't actually remember that. There's just yeah. something... So, like, that's that. When I first heard that line, it made me think of Neville and Harry Potter. That's yeah, I did too. I, was I like, thought that was oh. a reference to Harry Potter, honestly. It, I mean, it, I yeah. think it's a double reference. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but it also is, yeah, it's also Mr. Potts, like, mm-hmm. being like, there's something, but, like, the Enchantress wiped all their memories, so, like, they can't actually unlock those memories. Mm-hmm. I can't remember. Was that in the animated movie? That was not in the animated no. movie. So that was kind of like a plot hole because like if people were like, what the hell? There's a castle and a beast? How are we not How are we not storming the castle already? Although I kind of liked in the original animated movie how it was just a castle that was you know turned decrepit by the years and years of abandonment because I feel like that's a really romantic thing. Um, that's part of a lot of gothic romances. Sort romance of. with a capital R. Yeah, romance with capital R, not romantic in terms of like, but also romantic in that like sad old old things are sad and I like that kind of thing. Um, but and um, I so I had mixed feelings about the whole like the enchantment slowly. Breaking the breaking the castle castle down, as well as like the enchantment being the cause for the village not knowing that this castle existed. I kind of wish that it was. I mean, I had mixed feelings about it, as you can tell. Like, I liked the whole animated take on that, like it being just human memory losing like touch with this castle rather than actually being an enchantment. But I understand why it was filled in as a plot hole. Yeah, I I I kind of don't mind it. Like, I feel mm -hmm. like in the animated film. You don't need that explanation. I mean, fairy yeah. tales, as they exist, aren't supposed to fill in all those holes. Like, that's yeah. part of what makes a fairy tale a fairy tale. But I understand when you have a movie that's two hours long as opposed to 90 minutes, kind of adding those things in. I felt with the Enchantress, more of the stuff that I was kind of like, I could take it or leave it with her was like when she found Maurice and like yeah. that whole subplot, I was kind of like, eh. But like her erasing the memories. And, like, acknowledging that the prince, like, really taxed the villagers. And mm. I felt that kind of, that context I didn't mind because it sort of, I don't say it brought reality in because fairy tales aren't supposed to be realistic. But they also yeah. are, in a way. Yeah. So I, I didn't I really mind that so much. I could have, like, had left it, but because, like, I like the whole fairy tale aspect just being very grand and sweeping and not really having a lot of logic to it just because they're sort of metaphorical in their in their roots, but I, I understand why it was there. Um, but let's get back to the characters, because we're kind of going on a tangent here. Um, I mean, we can just go wherever we want. We can go. This is our review. We can let's do just we run want. away. <laughs> oh. Oh. That was such a great moment. Oh, I just, Beast and Belle, okay, I just need to say that Willoughby and I want to make a sequel miniseries to this movie that's just Beast and Belle post-movie, like, being in love in the castle and, like, knowing each other. Like, Growing it's just a beard. gonna be... Four episodes what a line. of them being stupidly in love. Belle unlocked something in herself. <laughs> <laughs> my girl, my girlfriend's like, is she in love with furries now? I love when she was like, can you grow a beard? And like growls. That moment at the end, I loved. I didn't moment. catch the growl. I didn't catch the growl on the first hand because I was laughing too hard. And then when I saw it the second time, I heard the growl and I was like, what? The growl was almost too much for me. I was just like, oh, oh my the God. growl was. Amazing, no. I loved it so much. <laughs> yes, it was great. <laughs> I'm so into that. Um, I, I <laughs> not like that! Oh my god, you guys! Anya! Is there something you want to tell us? 
<laughs> I really have a crush on Dan Stevens. <laughs> now, is it Beast Dan Stevens or Human oh Dan Stevens? Oh my god. All right, so moving on. <laughs> let's go on to the One, rest of the characters. Um, um, let's not go wait, too much with them. But. Yeah, I want to talk character-wise. Um, my favorite Disney character who's not a princess is Lumiere and has been since I was a little girl. I love Lumiere. He is my favorite character. And I really liked Ian McGregor as Lumiere, but I felt like the object sort of became an afterthought. What do you like, mean? Like, they just felt sort of... They didn't feel as big as they did in the animated film or in the musical. Mm-hmm. Like, Cosworth was barely in it, I felt. And I was like, you have Ian McKellen. Like, yeah. what are you doing? But it's They kind of became like a Greek chorus. Yeah. Yeah, but it's frustrating because when you watch it, when they she first gets to the castle, they have more of a presence. And Ian McGregor is very naturally charming as Lumiere. He's really good in the role. But then they just sort of start to dwindle away and they become less it just felt kind of weird to me that they felt well it's i think as as, less of a presence in the film that, but i really liked ewan mcgregor i thought he was really good as lumiere mm-hmm. it seemed as as less they became less as a presence as they focused more on and beast and bell's relationship yeah they took a back seat um i liked emma thompson a lot too because she really stepped up to the whole mrs potts sort of uh i want to say narrator but like the sort of omniscient narrator of like bell and and Beast love story, um, and she was really charming as well. Just like sweet. Um, Chip also took a, lo- a big backseat. I kind of like forgot he was there sometimes. Just like he was there to be a callback to the original animated movie, and that was kind of it. Like every yeah, now and, and then. I liked Plumet was really cute. That's Goombathara, who I love. She was <sighs> adorable. I want to talk about Goombathara. When she turned back into her human self, I could not help but think, I would love her as Belle. Not yeah, only because I feel like she would yeah. make a really good Belle. She would be a good Belle. She not would. only because she did play Belle in a movie Belle, which is not related to Beauty and the Beast. <laughs> not at all related. But she is just she is so good and I really am sad that she was hidden behind like this feathery duster thing for the majority of the movie because I yeah. love her a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I liked Cadenza and Madame Garderobe as well. They were really mm-hmm. cute. I I felt like Stanley Tucci and Audrey McDonald really hammed it up. The most, they did. which was adorable. <laughs> they were so, they were very cute. I liked them. I liked um, it, yeah. But I just sort of wish, like, I know that they took a backseat to Bell and Beast, which is fine because I really like Bell and Beast. But I actually thought if you had had less of that weird Maurice subplot, I keep going back to that. But that's like the one subplot that really dragged for me and really mm-hmm. didn't work. Um, yeah. And I feel like if you just kind of had less of that, you could have had a bit more of the. Objects, and I didn't need all their like lines from the animated film because I don't want it to just be a line for line. But mm-hmm. I felt like you just could have brought them in more because Lumiere and Cogsworth did have some really fun moments in this film. Like, you know, when they're getting ready to do be our guests, and Cogsworth is like, and he'll blame me, and Lumiere's like, I'll make sure of it. Yeah, that was a good. Line. And like, they have those, that really good banter, and it exists. Mm-hmm. I just wish there had been a bit more of it because yeah. they're fun. I think it was a lot of that was because of um, Maurice's more prominent role in this movie. Like, it Kevin Klein is great, um, but he did take away a lot from like the momentum of the Bell and Beast story. I felt like I agree. I did like I, I will disagree with Willoughby on that. I liked the intro um, in which like it kind of built up to him going up into the castle and like you know meeting and like 
finding out all the things about this, this enchanted castle. I did like, especially the part where he leaves and plucks the rose, because I don't remember that being a really big part of the animated film, but I remember like that really being a large part of the original fairy tale. I was going to say, yeah, that's not in the animated film, but that is part of the original fairy tale. I mean, yeah, I did which like I liked. That. I, and I, I will th- say, I agree with HT. I actually liked how long it was Maurice's mm-hmm. intro to the castle, because that's our introduction to the castle, because when mm-hmm. Belle goes, we don't get to see really the castle because she's going straight for her father. She's making mm-hmm. a beeline for her father. So, like, True. our introduction to the castle is through Maurice, not Belle. Mm-hmm. And so I actually liked that his intro was a little bit longer. Yeah. And so I was more okay with that. And I like that it's also very um, uh, referential to, like, gothic romances in general. Like, the buildup is always really long at the beginning and it's all about like establishing that mood and that atmosphere so I did like that that was part of it as well and the shout out to the original Jean Cocteau movie when yes. Maurice sees the um <clears throat> like the lamp uh, outside the door um and he like looks up at it for a moment and he's like wondering how it works and how it's lit and that mm. is like a direct reference to the original Jean Cocteau Beauty and the Beast movie which is gorgeous by the way and you should it see is. it if you ever have the chance um yeah I think I just I wanted to get to the to the Beauty and the Beast part. Mm. Like I don't know, maybe just it was just it, maybe it was just like I was like, a, I haven't read a lot of gothic romances <laughs> or watched a lot of gothic romance movies, so it, it to me it was like, okay, I've we've established it, let's keep moving. But yeah. like I understand where you're pointing. Yeah, no, it, for me it was like the best part, one of the best parts because it wasn't completely derivative of the animated movie, and I was just like, this is something that they, you know, could. I could see glimpses of, like, their own original movie or, like, their own original sort of take on this story. Mm -hmm. Um, Despite it being, like, you know, callbacks to the genre and to, like, the original fairy tale, I thought, like, it was the most um, new parts for me. Um, So, Maurice, what did you guys think of him? Did you think that, like, his his extended role was fine? Or did you think that, like, Anya thinks it should be cut off a little bit more, which I agree with? I liked the characterization. Mm -hmm. I liked that he wasn't crazy old Maurice. Mm -hmm. Um, But I also agree with Anya that I definitely think that the subplot dragged the movie along. Yeah. Did also like that. Like great, though. Yeah. Yeah, like, he was great. I liked that he was kind of, like, a a grieving father Mm -hmm. and, you know, longs for the days that his wife was still alive. And that was, like, that was like an int- a very interesting development, mm-hmm. but um, it seems like that that his subplot with Gaston kind of just dragged yeah. on. Yeah, yeah. I feel like he worked emotionally, but not always structurally, and that's mm-hmm. kind of how I feel about the movie that's as a, a whole. Point. Is that the mm-hmm. movie for me worked emotionally? Like the emotional beats for me at least hit, um, especially in the end, which I do want to talk about, like the whole battle and transformation and everything. Mm-hmm. But like. The movie had some structural issues, and I found that with Marie. So, like, like when Belle and Beast go back to her childhood home and stuff, like, it didn't really make sense plot-wise. But, like, as an emotional beat, I was like, this is, this is, I mean, I can go with this. Like, it's Belle and Beast bonding over her mother and, like, Beast getting to know Belle in a new way. And so, like, Mm -hmm. it worked in that sense for me, but, like, if you think too hard about it, it doesn't really work as much. Beast had some good moments, though, in that, in that little like aside to France where he in, into Paris where he's like oh Paris I love Paris and he was talking <laughs> about was things cute, and then he yeah. goes oh too touristy I'm like what an, what an anachronism that was it was a sweet moment um but yeah I, I do think I do completely agree with Anya I think that like the biggest flaw with Beauty and the Beast is that 
it didn't hit, hit all the beats structurally as well as it did emotionally. Um, although I did like that Maurice was more human than his uh, animated counterpart, uh, just because he wasn't as wacky and kind of silly and yeah. like a com- comedic relief. Um, so his whole like uh, pro- like conflict of being put into this insane asylum by Gaston and being gaslighted worked better instead of just like taking this wacky character and kind of giving him this more emotional send off. So, yeah, and I like, I like that, that he made music boxes and that Bell was sort of the inventor. It's so funny. I keep seeing people get angry. They're like, but Bell like put her washing in like the fountain that everyone uses. And I'm like, but if you watch the Bell sequence, that fountain she uses, everyone uses for laundry. Yeah, and yeah. The, the laundry fountain. fountain. In the it was a laundry fountain, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but everyone keeps saying like, of course they should get mad at her. She's using... Like the fountain everyone uses for laundry, and I'm like, that's well, no, the they're laundry wrong. fountain. They weren't like, watching the movie then. They weren't watching the right movie, and they want to get outrage over things it's that don't so, need to be outraged about. Yeah, it was about. so. I keep seeing that mm. in everywhere, <laughs> so many articles. It's very weird. That is. And weird. I was like, but I liked that she like created this this contraption to do laundry, so she could read and then teach a little. Oh girl no, that was great. Yeah, I, I like that. that. Was really nice. I didn't, yeah, I like I like those additions to the character. Although I will say. Um, one of my issues, I guess, with this movie is sort of its like tiny nods towards making Belle a more independent, strong female character. Uh, like, there was this great BuzzFeed uh, article a couple days ago that talked about how Hollywood is getting too much praise for its like little nods towards yes, LGBT inclusivity. And I feel like that's the case for this movie um, in terms of like trying to improve upon the animated classic. They're like, oh wait, Bella's more feminist. She's an inventor. She, she has feminist. like, I mean, she already was feminist. I don't yeah. I don't see like the point. I mean, like I understand like why they're making these little nods, but I don't think that they deserve all this praise or that the movie is much improved by just like tweaking the character and making it a little more feminist um, in the yeah. end. Yeah, like I liked what, what she was doing with the laundry mm-hmm. and then teaching the other girl to read. Yeah. I thought that was a really I cute moment. I thought it was moment. sweet, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I agree that it shouldn't be it shouldn't be like uh, like groundbreaking yeah. or innovative. Yeah. You know, yeah. It well, should be the norm. <laughs> yeah, and that's how I kind of feel about the whole LeFou thing, which is like the LeFou mm-hmm. thing in context didn't really bother me at all. No. Mm-hmm. I think it was the fact that like they blew it up beforehand that was the real problem. Because oh, yeah. like LeFou, that was LeFou had his own mini arc, and like I actually kind of liked it. Like when he switches sides at the end, people were. Yeah. I heard someone say that like it felt out of left field, but I disagree because LeFou is questioning Gaston at like every chance he gets in the movie. Like he's constantly yeah. wondering if this is the right thing. And so I think him switching sides makes sense. And I think him also questioning his sexual identity is fine. And I don't think that it's, you know, it's a very small thing and it's not like groundbreaking as they said mm-hmm. it was, but I thought he was fine. I just think they shouldn't have blown it up the way they did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause I, I agree. I like LeFou's arc. I think that, the entire time he's not like you can you can read guest the song guest on as like like he's completely like enamored with this guy as like he's a but you can also think of it as he's just trying to make him happy because if he's not happy the townspeople aren't going to be happy mm-hmm. and he's trying to pump him up to be like listen guy this isn't the end of the world and he just kind of took it to the musical extreme of doing a song about him. Mm-hmm. Makes but, me wonder what LeFou, what Gaston was like in the war and what LeFou saw and like how horrifying Gaston must have been in the war. Yeah. <laughs> and so, and I like that LeFou had that one line in, in the mob song where he's like, yeah, there's a beast, but I think we unleashed the real monster. Mm. I can't remember if that was in. Yeah, that was in the, the okay. mob song. Again, I haven't seen. And that, yeah, that's a new, that's a new line to the song. Yeah. That's a new line. Animated. That is. That wasn't in their animated. Uh, movie. Oh, okay. I did like that they uh, gave LeFou his own arc. I 
like I did like that he wasn't just an Iago type character mm-hmm. uh, like he was in the animated film. Gilbert Gottfried as as LeFou <laughs> would be amazing. <laughs> um, but so my I won't I won't say I have an issue with like his LGBT arc. I just think that like it's interesting that they take a character who was already coded gay and made him yeah. explicitly gay. Mm-hmm. I don't think that like there's anything wrong with that because like it's it makes sense, but it also I agree with Anya. This, they shouldn't deserve all these accolades for it's just like making a character. they're steering into the skid. Yeah, they're steering into the skid. They're making a stereotypically sort of gay, poofy character already, like just explicitly interested in men, which is fine. I mean, it's just like I just I feel like it would have been mm-hmm. better if they just hadn't said anything and we all just went into the movie and it just happened. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, like the fact that there was like all those like headlines with like Disney has exclusively gay moments. I'm like calm yourself. Exclusively gay. I know. It's terrible phrasing too. It is terrible (laughs) phrasing. And it's like I don't have an issue with like an like effeminate or like over the top like gay male character because Mm -hmm. that is a legitimate identity. It's the Mm problem. The problem is when that's the only type of gay male character you see in media. Which luckily is what we're not really getting anymore. We are not every character anymore is Jack from Will and Grace. Like, we're getting a more diverse spectrum of gay male characters. So, like, I don't really mind that, like, that identity because it's real and it's legitimate, but you just can't have that be the only thing. And so, you know, and I remember I saw a lot of fans who were like, why would you make LeFou explicitly gay when you have Lumiere and Cogsworth? (laughs) But, I mean, you know, it is what it is. I just think that Bill Condon shouldn't have really, like, kind of... He touted it up as something bigger than it was. Did. Yeah. Um, so let's, I think that's that covers a lot of like the main characters that we wanted to talk about. Let's move on to the theme and like overall structure of this movie. Um, so we talked a little bit about uh, how this movie really relies on the iconic imagery of the animated classic. And I think despite it, those moments being parts where I really grinned and like really enjoyed the movie, I think that it really, it kind of, um, it's, not only took away from it, but kind of hindered this movie from becoming better. Um, for example, one scene, other than like the be your guest scene, the finale where um, Beast finally turns into a human, and they basically do shot for shot that iconic scene in the animated classic where he, you know, stands up and you see him from his back, and he's like looking at his self, and like he turns around, and it's like this big cathartic moment, a big euphoria and like a eureka moment and she and then you like zoom in on his eyes. And that was never really a um a moment that was quite like a, his whole like his eyes being the same was never really quite as explicit in like the the live action movie as it was in the animated film, like his eyes being like the same. So it felt it rung like really hollow for me again. It was unearned. So, like, it was unearned. Exactly. Um, so I think that like those moments, despite like you know really tapping into my nostalgia and me really enjoying like me reliving in my childhood, I just did not think that. I think that like they really mis- took a misstep with that. Yeah, I want to mm-hmm. the transformation. I have a little fun fact about that. Mm-hmm. I really liked it, but I think that's because 
again, it's one of those things if I think really hard about, like you said, HT, there are some things that ring hollow, Mm -hmm. but, like, I got really caught up in the whole battle, and, like, Mm -hmm. Gaston having a gun, and, like, all these things happening, and, like, Beast shouting Belle's name, and I was getting, like, so caught up emotionally in it that I was just like, oh my god, and I was, like, very overwhelmed, Um, (laughs) but I always get very overwhelmed during the transformation sequence, so, Mm -hmm. um, I liked it a lot, but you know, if you, on, like, an emotional level, like we've talked mm-hmm. about. But fun yeah. fact, Dan Stevens revealed in an interview that the way they originally shot the transformation, there's gonna be, like, all these rose petals, and he was gonna, like, stand up, and he was gonna be shirtless. And I was like, <gasps> yes! And then they showed it to audiences, they did, like, a test screening to audiences, and moms were like, if he's naked on top, he must be naked on the bottom, and I can't have my children seeing that. And so they changed it so he was clothed. And I'm so angry that I was robbed of that. (laughs) I just wanted to hear that. He revealed that in an interview. And I was like, I cannot believe this. I have a question. What? Are the clothes enchanted too? Because they were bigger when he was the beast and then smaller when he was regular Dan Stevens size. (gasps) See, they missed that on that because in the animated movie, they were bigger. They were too big for him. Because he was wearing the same exact outfit that he was wearing. But they, it looked normal. Yeah. And I was like, okay, so all the clothes just got bigger? Mm-hmm. Or what happened here? I mean, the enchantress um, was right there. She probably was like, transform, including your clothes, so your clothes fit. Like, she true. probably made sure they fit. I mean, she there's probably there. some weird loophole about that. But it just, it that was like, that bothered me. I was like, wait, it shouldn't have worked that way. Oh. Also, the clothes on the beast, this, this is a point, I a very minor point. But the clothes on the beast did not look real. They never looked real to me. Yeah, well, he was also a very giant CGI motion capture well, monster. I mean, you could, you he was, Dan Stevens himself was wearing a suit. Yeah. So, uh, like, and stilts. Mm-hmm. They, and they could have, have had him worn clothing. Mm-hmm. And then they could have just animated around the clothing, which I, I don't think they did. Been. Because during the Beauty and the Beast dance, that that blue getup did not look real at all. Yeah. Me. But that's that's a point that I that's like a that's like a filmmaking point. Yeah. But that that was just something I noticed that it was like these clothes never looked real. No, I agree with that. I think the technology still has a little ways to go in terms of like making it look completely real. Well, the thing is, Don of the Planet of the Apes did such a well. Oh, that's true. Oh man, the thing is, they did motion capture really well. Yeah. So you can't say technology is not there. They really animate just like emotions and eyes so well in Don of the Planet of the Apes, which I feel like could have been used a little bit more in this movie. It's that it's the production houses aren't sharing their info. Mm. So what did you guys think of the Enchantress having a little bit more of an expanded role in this movie? Ex Machina. Yeah, I didn't... A little bit of a deus ex machina. I did not like her showing up at the end during Belle and Beast's giant um, reconciliation scene. Like Gandalf showing like, up at the end of a battle. It was. I was just like, why are you here? Why are you interrupting this moment? <laughs> I She's did not third like, wheeling. And then, like, also, you know, they have this wider shot of both Belle and Beast and, like, the Enchantress in the corner. Mm-hmm. I feel like it really took away from the emotional impact of that scene of Belle finally realizing her feelings and affection for the Beast and telling her big I love you moment. I think that also, like, it wasn't as well acted by Emma Watson, so I was just like, not really in that scene as well. She had like this one tiny tear and her face was the same placid face the entire time. I'm she sorry. She had the single tear. She had the single manly tear. <laughs> yeah, I could have I could have taken her leaving the enchantress. I, yeah. I felt like it didn't always work for me. I was fine with like the expanded like she erased the memories, like I said, like I'm okay with yeah. that. But I didn't really need her presence throughout the movie as much. Um yeah, although, fun it's, fact 
it, it is, just seems like too much of a G6 Machina for multiple well, multiple occasions. Mm-hmm, Saving Maurice yeah. and then being the one who actually does the spell to reverse everything, whereas in the animated, I believe, uh, it was just... It the, was just their it was love. Just, it was just the power of love to do it. Uh, <laughs> like Huey Lewis the News once said, the power of love. Oh, my God. That moment with the... Oh, I still am thinking about that I'm, that scene from the animated classic where he is lifted up by her love and just it, the lights just beams come out of his fingers and I love that if you guys ever get a chance to see a national tour of the musical Mm -hmm. because it does still tour Mm -hmm. um see it because it's phenomenal but also the transformation sequence on stage will blow your mind my mom and sister saw it when it was still on Broadway and my mom to this day cannot tell cannot tell you how they did it so because in the musical Beast the guy who plays the Beast is lifted up by like uh like chords into the air Mm-hmm. He never once leaves the stage. Never does. And he completely transforms just mid-air. And, like, there are strobe lights, so, like, it's somewhat dark, but, like, there's still, like, light on him, but, like, he sort of, oh, like, like, is like spinning around. Dies in the Lion King. They yeah, he's, like, spinning lights. around, and then by the time he has his feet on the ground again, he's completely human. There's, like, no trace of his costume or makeup. That's crazy. Uh, that's awesome. I, yeah, I still don't know how they do it either. It is phenomenal. So that's that transformation need to watch it. Because like it's the same guy who plays Beast. Yeah. That's crazy. Because it could easily have been like, we're just going to get a stunt guy. He's a little bit smaller. <laughs> <laughs> nope, it's the same guy because he immediately starts singing afterwards too. Oh. Nice. Yeah, it's very, yeah, definitely see. And there might be a national tour like now that like the movie's here and it's doing so well, they might like do up another national tour. Kennedy Center. Cool. So. Uh, is there anything else you guys want to add about like structure and themes of this movie? I feel like we've touched on it throughout the episode. I think yeah, we have. Yeah, I mean, like the theme is pretty much beauties within. And like nostalgia is a powerful drug. Yep. <laughs> and that Dan Stevens is beautiful and I love him. That's the theme of the movie? <laughs> that is the theme of my movie experience. Yeah, so essentially my overall reaction to this movie is I did enjoy it and that did really give me joy and delight um, just because like that nostalgia nostalgic element really brought me back and really played into my love for the original animated film but it also hindered it in many ways despite you know some improvements Dan Stevens being one of them and the extended like Belle and Beast's uh, flirting scenes which I really enjoyed because I thought like that built up the relationship a lot better I just thought like the the, the shot for shot remakes of like classic shots from the animated film was were not were unearned like Anya was saying were just not not very good for the movie overall. So what do you guys? I also uh, want Kenneth Branagh to direct every fairy tale ever. I would love that. I just want Kenneth Branagh to direct all of them. That's what I thought when I got out. I was like, why can't Kenneth Branagh just direct everything? See, I haven't That's seen my Cinderella, final so I can't tell. Can't say you haven't seen Cinderella. Cinderella's seen the so movie. good. Okay, I will say I like Cinderella because I really like that what they brought in with the whole idea of domestic abuse and like being in like an abusive relationship and not being able to escape that. Although I will say I don't, I didn't like it as much as Anya did. Cinderella's Sorry, a perfect Anya. movie. Um, so yeah, so I can't attest to Kenneth Branagh. Granted, he, he did amazing wonders with Thor. Um, <laughs> those canted angles. I cannot watch Um, them now without seeing those candidate goals. But yeah, I mean, basically, I mean, I agree that the movie has flaws, uh, particularly with Maurice's character's subplot and the pacing issues and the beast not having 
real clothing. <laughs> um, but otherwise, I like the movie, and I'll probably buy it on Blu-ray. I will definitely buy it on Blu-ray just to watch Dan Stevens all. But I'm like, can I get that alternate transformation sequence in my deleted scenes? <laughs> <laughs> that would so, be amazing if they included it. Yeah, yeah, Disney including that one. So, to wrap up our episode, let's go around and give our ratings out of five stars for Beauty and the Beast 2017. Willoughby. I'm going to have to give it three and a half stars. I will give it two and a half stars. And I'm going to go with Willoughby and give it three and a half. All right. All right. So let's I think that's an average of what, 3.25? Three, three. three stars. Okay. All right. Three so stars. That's not bad. That's the Millennial right. Falcon gives Beauty and the Beast 2017 three stars. Out of five. Three out of five stars. All right. All right. Let's move on to the last segment of our episode. I really, 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 really like you. But I need to tell you something. All right, Anya, since this was your big Dan Stevens week, <laughs> why don't you give us your really like? I really wanted to have a Dan Stevens really like so I could just keep it going, but <laughs> I don't. But he will make a comeback. He will. Um, so my really like this week is a movie trailer. Which movie trailer? The Justice League, obviously. I was about to say. No, I'm kidding. That trailer was garbage. That trailer was so bad. Yikes. Stop, Zack Snyder. Stop. The trailer I really liked this week was Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri, which... Have you guys heard of this movie? Wait, I think I have, but I did not watch the trailer for okay, it. I don't so know trailer, anything about it. The trailer came out this week. Um, it's from the director, uh, Martin McDonough, who did In Bruges and Seven Psychopaths, Ooh. which are two movies that I really love. And so this is his next movie. And it's about a mother who's played by Frances McDormand. Um, and her daughter was killed. Uh, we don't know how long ago or what, but the police haven't found her murderer yet. And so Frances McDormand's character decides to take things into her own hands. And she basically mm. puts text on three billboards outside their town that's like, what are you doing, police? You haven't found her killer. Like, And it devolves into this whole thing of her basically taking justice into her own hands and like, <laughs> sort of tormenting the police about why they haven't done anything. It's very... It's a dark comedy, like his other two movies are. Mm. But I was cracking up throughout the entire trailer. And it's a great cast. Frances McDormand, Woody Harrelson, uh, Peter Dinklage, Sam Rockwell. It's really fun. And I also just realized I can be very picky with my comedy. Mm. And comedy is that one thing that I can become kind of an elitist jerk about and be like, this comedy <laughs> is dumb and I don't like it. I'm very picky with my comedy. But one of the comedy styles I do really love is that kind of dark, irreverent humor. Mm -hmm. um, and that is what he does so well. In Bruges is one of the funniest movies I've ever seen. And, I absolutely love In Bruges. Yeah. And Seven Psychopaths is also really good. So three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. The trailer came out. Definitely go watch it. It's really great. And I'm very excited for this film. I just keep thinking of the title Three Meals for Sister Sarah. I've never and heard when that you, title when, when you keep saying, it's a it's a western that Quentin Tarantino used music from in Django Unchained. Oh, oh. I did not know that. There yep. you go. 
All right. Um, I will go next because I get the feeling that Willoughby might use this as his really like. Okay. So I'm going to get ahead of him. I have a backup, so don't worry. Okay, okay. So my really like this week is the Super Flash musical. I knew it. I knew it. That's why I didn't pick <laughs> that's it. That's why I have a backup. <laughs> and that's why I did not pick it. <laughs> Sorry, Willoughby. I sniped it from you. I'm going to talk about it, though. Yes. Um, so Supergirl and The Flash had their much-anticipated musical episode crossover bringing back Darren Chris onto our TV screens as the music meister. And into our hearts. And into our hearts. I really missed seeing him on TV. I, rec- I realized that after watching him just like in that brief clip on Supergirl. I was just like, man, I miss Darren Chris. He is just so good and charming. But he didn't get to sing that much in this episode, which is a real loss. But it, um, it reunited three Glee co-stars. Although I don't know if Melissa Benoist was on at the same time. No, I, oh, I don't think at the same time. as. Yeah. Maybe as Darren Chris, but not... Grant Gustin. Yeah, because Darren and Grant Gustin played sort of love love interests. Well, rival gang members. Yeah, rival gang members. Grant Gustin was kind of that guy who tried to steal Darren away from uh, Chris Colfer. Chris Colfer. Yeah, Chris Colfer's character. Um, (laughs) He did a rendition of Smooth Criminal with oh, what's her face? Naya Rivera, her character. This is Mm. impressive. You guys are telling me that you guys watched Glee beyond season two. I watched, I watched it until season four. I watched season two of Glee, and then I stopped. Like, up, I just kept up, up with it because it was there. Um, but, yeah. Impressive. No, I did not watch that far. But I remember I when Grant to... Gustin was, in, was uh, introduced. I didn't get. I did not get to the part where Melissa Benoist was on Glee, though. Okay, so she was pretty far in then. Yeah. Um, anyways, it was a delightful episode, but far too short. It should have been a two-parter at it least. It should have been, like, the rest of the season. <laughs> Yeah, honestly, like, I did, I did like, I did like Music Meister's role in it, but I didn't like that it was set in like a dream world, in that sort of '40s aesthetic. I could have done away with it. I was just like, eh, you know what? I would have been fine if Music Meister just kind of changed their real world and made them all sing for no reason because like and, Buffy, like in Buffy, like in the Buffy musical episode, they have a a villain like Music Meister whose power is explicitly that. They should have used him in that regard. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I enjoyed it. Um, Melissa Benoist and Grant Gustin have such great chemistry, and they're so delightful together. Uh, Rachel Bloom's original song for them, Super Friends, is so cute. I've rewatched that scene multiple times. I've listened to, I've bought the soundtrack, and I've listened to Super Friend about 900 I times. Know. I wish there were more original songs. There were only two original songs in that episode. So they really, they kind of squandered a lot of, potential for it but it was still just like so fun just because it was great to see the flash lighten up again because it's been so dark and gloomy for this entire season and Kara is just great with ray of sunshine she's so great yeah and the two of them on screen i can watch them just do whatever yeah. for hours yeah like they have such great chemistry they do it it's so fun. <laughs> I also, it's so fun just real quick shout out to the fact that iris had two dads in this dream sequence it was yes. so great but also shout out to Jeremy Jordan, the best singer of the entire cast. I will argue this. He is the best singer of the entire group that sang in this episode. Jeremy Jordan is the best. I love him. I, I won't disagree with that. you. Jeremy Jordan is the best. I might push Jesse L. Martin as a better singer. Yeah, well, but... she was in Rent, yeah. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I'm just like, just, is just nodding her head. Like, wait, sorry, is shaking her head. But I think sing. we can all agree that the. The movie, the movie musical episode was great yes. and far too so short good. for our own liking. Mm-hmm. Agreed. 
So, Willoughby, what is your really like for this week? Well, your backup really like. My backup, but it's still ultimately a great really like, is I'm rewatching Mad Men mm-hmm. um, for the first time since the finale. Uh, so it's been a, a couple years. Uh, and I'm reading it with Matt Zeller-Seitz's book, Mad Men Carousel, The Complete Critical Companion. So it's basically all of his vulture recaps um, compiled into one book. Mm. And they're edited with footnotes and endnotes that give you backstory on like what was happening in the, in the 60s at the time, products they were referencing, news events they're referencing, um, and then endnotes that reference uh, things that happened later in the season. And the cool thing is that the, the carousel is spoiler-free, so you can read uh, like you know the the first uh, you know recap where they really try to start to talk about who is Don Draper and you won't be spoiled by the fact that he's not really Don Draper mm-hmm. spoiler alert um, and they uh, but you can also read it with the end notes that talk about the things that do connect to the end and spoilers so it's really really interesting you know um, and uh, I'm having a blast just you know going back to the start and reading the recaps at, at the end of each episode it's taking you know it's giving me it's not it's i'm binging it but it's like binge i'm watching an episode reading a recap and you know reading the epi- watching the episode reading another recap so i'm like taking my time with it and like really really like sitting down and like rewatching mad mad men really for the first for the first time okay um and because when i watched it originally I, my mom and i were watching the first four seasons to play catch up to get to the fifth season, mm. and then I watched the fifth, sixth, and seventh season live. Um, so it's been a, I have I've never done a full rewatch. Um, I've watched episodes here and there, but never like grandiose. Mm. Um, so this is really fun and exciting. Um, I like to con- think of watching Mad Men as like coming home to an old friend, because like I don't know I really it, you know I, I would watch it. In, in, in the spring when it was on in college and my roommate and I would watch it or I'd watch it with friends or talk about it. So like, I don't know, Mad Men's all about nostalgia and I'm in a, you know, nostalgia, like we said, is a powerful drug. Mm-hmm. And the Mad Men carousel is a reference to the carousel wheel that they talk about at the end of season one, the, mm-hmm. the slideshow. Um, and so there's a lot of like, you know, going back and forth through time and like revisiting the past and the future the same time so and that's really kind of what i'm about so mad men rewatch with matt zeller cites book the mad men carousel C- complete critical companion that's awesome guide. all right guys well that is our episode for the week if you guys have any thoughts on beauty and the beast or the trailer for three billboards outside ebbing missouri the flash supergirl musical crossover or Mad Men, definitely come chat with us. And where can they do that, Willoughby? You can find us on Facebook, on Twitter, at Falcon Podcast. Our blog is millennialfalconpodcast.wordpress.com. You can uh, subscribe to us on iTunes and Google Play, where you can rate and review us there. And we're also on SoundCloud. And where can they find you guys? You can find me at Anya Crittenton on Twitter. You can find me at Bui on Twitter. And you can find me at Willoughby Dobbs on Twitter. All right, thanks for joining us, guys. Bye. 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 I'm your super friend.